Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Our text for our sermon is the gospel history according to St. Matthew, as recorded in chapter 21, verses 33 through 43. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. He leased it out to some tenant farmers and went away on a journey. When the time approached to harvest the fruit, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. The tenant farmers seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then the landowner sent even more servants than the first time. The tenant farmers treated them the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenant farmers saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. They took him, threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. So when the landowner comes, what will he do to those tenant farmers? They told him, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end. Then he will lease out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his fruit when it is due. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. That is why I tell you the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces its fruit. This is the gospel history of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, recall from last week's text, which comes right before today's text, that it's Holy Week. Jesus had already cleared out the temple and all that, and the chief priests and the elders who as they are speaking to Jesus are plotting his murder just a couple days away, approach him and ask him by whose authority does he do these things. Now they knew by the miracles he did that he was either sent by God or was from God. And yet they're resisting him. So he tells them this parable and in the end he tells them, That is why I tell you the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces its fruit. You're the people that produces its fruit. For Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection has made you a priest. He has given you the binding key, which is the proclamation of the law, and the loosing key, which is the proclamation of the forgiveness of sins in Christ Jesus. And so, while this text is meant for people who were utterly rejecting Christ, the cornerstone they choose to reject for their building, we'll apply this text today to you and I as members of the priesthood of all believers and ask, what kind of tenant farmer are you? Because in the priesthood of all believers, you're the one God expects to bring the fruit to him as the landowner. So to answer that question, let's jump into our text at verse 33. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. Whoa, 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 let's just stop there. The tenants didn't even have to toil the soil. This man did all the work. He did the planting. He put up the posts and the wires that would be used for the vines and all that. Put a fence around it. Okay. Now we know that the Old Testament laws for the nation of Israel, the civil, the ceremonial, and the moral laws were meant to protect them. They were not meant to keep them from reaching out and doing evangelism among the Gentiles, 
But they were meant to protect them from the Baal worship and the Molech worship and the Dagon worship, which sadly, the people of Israel didn't use those civil, ceremonial, and moral laws and didn't protect themselves from them. But it was meant to protect them from all those false teachings and the common idolatry and built a tower. Now, a tower would be used to look out and, uh-oh, there's a flock of birds coming and they could put nets over those uh, grapes. Or if they saw animals coming, they could be ready. If they tried to get in past the hedge, they could be ready to chase them away. So once again, anybody who has the word of God and is on the lookout and, and for these for false teachings and things like that are ready to protect God's vineyard using the word of God. He leased it out to some tenant farmers and went away on a journey. When the time approached to harvest the fruit, he sent his servants to the tenants to get its fruits. So he doesn't even ask for all the fruits. He asked for his share of it. So these guys had it really easy when you think about it. The owner did all the work. All they had to do was be on the lookout and then pluck the grapes when it was time and give whatever the rental agreement was to the owner of the land. Well, you as a member of the priesthood can get confused if you listen to a lot of the different stuff that's out there and forget that God has done all the work for harvesting the fruits of faith in his kingdom, in his vineyard, which is the invisible church. So as we ask, what kind of tenant farmer are you? The first question we ask is, do you see that God has provided all that you need for the fruit that he desires? See, he's given you his word. And in that word, we have the law. And you know, in that law, for example, the third commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. We have that idea and the New Testament teaches it clearly that when we have somebody who's teaching God's word falsely, that's going to end up coming and destroying the vineyard. And so we try to correct them in Christian love. When they will not be corrected, we say, we will have nothing more to do with you. We will not support your false teaching. So there's still a hedge. That's the moral law. But we also have the good news of salvation in Christ. We actually have the privilege of getting to proclaim that to others. And then the Holy Spirit enters their heart and gives them faith. At the same time, he nourishes your faith with that word, with the law, and with the gospel, the good news of salvation in Christ, so that your new man naturally produces the fruits that he's looking for. So how has God equipped you with everything needed to produce the fruit he desires? He's given you his word, the law, and especially the gospel. But he combined that word, he combined the gospel promise with water in baptism, where especially in people, in infants, for example, the Holy Spirit is first planted and sealed into that heart. That's where the seed is put in the soil. And for adults, the word does that first. And then with baptism, we seal that in and the Holy Spirit is there doing his work so that they have the faith that produces fruit. He wants to nourish that faith. So once again, he's given you the word that keeps nourishing and growing and... He's also combined that word with bread and wine so that we receive the body and blood of Christ, which nourishes our faith. P. 
People get confused and think, well, God needs our help. Let's water down the word so it's easier for people to swallow. People get confused and they can say, you know what we really need is a big fancy coffee bar that brews espresso. That's what's going to put people in God's vineyard. Those things might help us with fellowship. But the truth of the matter is, God has given us everything we need to produce the fruits of his vineyard because he's given us his word, he's given us baptism and the Lord's Supper. In other words, he's given us the means of grace. He's given us the good news of salvation in Christ, which does all the work for us. So what kind of tenant farmer are you? Do you see that God has provided all that is needed for the fruit he desires? You've come to his word today. And you continually use that word, the good news of salvation in Christ. So you know that God has given you the tools to work in his vineyard. Next, he says in verse 34, when the time approached to harvest the fruit, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. The tenant farmer seized his servants. They beat one, killed another and stoned the third. Whoa, let's stop right there. Think of the folly of this. If this happened today and they beat them and they killed a servant, that's murder. Dial 911 is what the landowners would do. The sheriff would show up and lob tear gas or other kinds of gas into that vineyard, get those people to come out. They would cuff and stuff them and real soon they would be facing the death penalty. Who would think they could continue harvesting the fruits of a land by beating up and killing those that the landowner sends? Not to mention the fact that the landowner had already done the bulk of the work, right? All they had to do was harvest it and give him his fair share. Do you see the folly of their sin right away? And we're going to see that in their sin, they just get more and more foolish. Well, that's how sin is. It's unreasonable. We need look no further than the first sin to see that. God had made Adam and Eve the crown of creation. Everything else was to serve them. They knew good and evil the way God knows good and evil. They did good. They didn't do evil, but they knew what it was. But they believed the devil's lie. God was withholding good. Why would they think that? They were the crown of his creation. And when they bought into the devil's lie, then they ran and hid from God. You can't hide from God. This was God who was gracious and loved them. Sin makes us fools. I've seen it as a pastor. I've seen it as a lay person. Oftentimes you go to somebody who has fallen into a completely irrational sin. Why did you do that? I don't know. Well, the real reason is we had a sinful nature that wanted to do it. It's not that smart when it comes to God. And so here we see these tenant farmers with unreasonable sin. But it doesn't end there, does it? Then the landowner sent even more servants than the first time. What? Why would you do that? That's unreasonable too. Why wouldn't you call the sheriff in? He sends more tenants. Now we know this is the prophets who come to correct the people of Israel. Prophets like Elijah who worked with, on Israel when they were busy worshiping Baal. So you would think this second time, here is grace. Oh, you beat up and you murdered the first set. I'll send you another. That will make you change your mind. I'm giving you a second chance. There is God's unreasonable yet wonderful grace. The tenant farmers treated them the same way. How could you do this a 
second time and think you're going to get away with it. Now it's time to call in the sheriff, right? Finally, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. When you look at the Greek words used there, it's really a neat picture because the Greek word is they will look in, basically seeing the son, seeing the glory of God. Although Jesus hid his godhood, they would see his glory. They would look into themselves and say, oh boy, we're rejecting God, the son. See the grace of God, the unreasonable grace after they, after they beat up and stoned the prophets. He sends his own son with the hope that the grace of his son would change their hearts. And we know with some like Nicodemus, he did. But the bulk of them, it didn't work. But when the tenant farmers saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. It doesn't work that way even today, does it? If you kill a landowner's son and then he dies of natural causes later, the next of kin will inherit that land after the government takes its fair share of the taxes, right? The point here is you don't inherit the land for murdering the owner's son. How unreasonable were these people's sin? Sadly, we're told then they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. The vineyard here is not Jerusalem, although it is true on Good Friday they will march him out with the cross on his back and nail him to that cross. The vineyard is the invisible church. Recall the charges they bring to Pilate are claiming to be a king, right? And he was a king. He's the king of all creation. But originally the reason, you know, they, they come in to find a reason to kill him. They've already decided to kill him. And when they insist, tell us if you are the son of God, and he says, I am, then they scream out blasphemy. They want to murder him as a heretic, as somebody who should be thrown outside of the church. The invisible church always exists and will always exist. But shall we say in time, the Old Testament church suddenly stops to exist because Christ is about to give birth to the New Testament church. Ultimately here, as we ask the question, what kind of tenant farmer are you? Do you know that unreasonable sin receives unreasonable yet wonderful grace. Now, we don't want to say then, should we go out and sin all the more that God should be all the more glorified? The Apostle Paul answers that in Romans and says, oh no, let's not be that way. But what a wonderful comfort it is. This is why Peter said, Lord, how many times should I forgive the one who sins against me? Up to seven times? No, 77 times. This is supernatural. It's not the way the world works. And God puts that in your and my heart. So remember, you as a priest have the binding and loosing key. Unreasonable sin receives unreasonable yet wonderful grace. We would withhold forgiveness right away. But look at how God keeps coming and wooing and winning with his grace. The next question we want to ask comes at verse 40. So when the landowner comes, what will he do to those tenant farmers? They told him, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end. Then he will lease out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his fruit when it is due. He will bring those wretches to a wretched end. We know that the wretched end is the burning flames in hell. Ultimately, while their unreasonable sin received unreasonable grace... There was a limit to that grace, wasn't there? Men like Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, who were part of the Sanhedrin, would come to faith. They, they had already come to faith. But those who persisted in rejecting him, ultimately God will say, fine, 
I keep wooing and winning you with my grace, but you've rejected it. And so from now on, when you hear the good news of salvation in my son, it will only harden your heart. There's a warning for you and I here. Do you know that his grace has its limits? Because if we embrace a sin, wait, I know this is wrong. This, this isn't struggling with the sin. This is saying, I know this is against God and this sin, I love it more than I love God. We'll squeeze the Holy Spirit out of our heart. And once the Holy Spirit's squeezed out of our heart, if we persist in that sin, God may turn around to us and say the same thing. Fine. From now on, when you hear my word, it will only harden your heart. And that means a freight train without brakes headed straight down to hell. God's grace has its limits. And that's why we're so careful how we use the binding key of the law and why we are so willing to use the loosing key of God's grace. And it's a reminder for us because there is a time when we have a brother or sister in Christ who is embracing a sin in which we use that binding key of excommunication. We don't do it to punish them. Here you go, you sinner. Now you're getting what you got coming. We do it to warn them. I don't want to see you in hell. And you, if you haven't, you are driving the Holy Spirit out of our heart. That's hard to do today, though, I can tell you. Because when you excommunicate somebody and adjust excommunication, they'll run off to the next Christian church down the street who will say, oh, God's a loving God. They'll forget that God is holy. And in fact, lots of times today, Christians, God is love, but they will use that to completely say, now I can embrace this sin and live in this sin, and that's great. God's grace has its limits. There is a reason why we have the binding key. We don't use it for revenge. We use it to hold their feet near the flames, proverbially, so that they can see where they are going and prayerfully repent. So what kind of tenant farmer are you? Do you see that God has provided all that is needed for the fruit he desires by giving you the means of grace? Do you know that unreasonable sin receives unreasonable grace? Do you know that his grace has its limits so that you understand how desperate the situation is? Finally, in verse 42, we get to our last question. Jesus said to them, Have you ever read in the scriptures that the stone the builders had rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. In those days, when they were building a, a stone structure, they would take one stone that had been cut at a good 90-degree angle, and that was used to bring two walls together. The Old Testament said the Savior's coming. The New Testament says the Savior has come. Christ is the stone in which those two walls come together. The law says you are unholy, you have a sinful nature, and you are damned to hell. The gospel says you have a new man, you are an adopted child of God. Heaven is yours. And those two are diametrically opposed and they only make sense in Christ on the cross, in Christ off the cross. But the chief priests and the elders who were standing before Jesus that day, they take a look at that cornerstone and go, this isn't what I want, and they throw it away. They wanted to build God's church on what benefited them, on what made them money, on what gave them power, what gave them prestige, so they rejected Christ. Do you know that Christ is the cornerstone? Because oftentimes, even as Christians, we can get confused. Well, it would sure be nice to have our own church building. Therefore, we've got to do evangelism so that we have the offerings to have a church building. 
That's the wrong reason for evangelism, isn't it? That would make the church building the cornerstone, not Jesus Christ our Lord. Sometimes we get confused even with sermons. If you ever hear me preach a sermon in which that is not all about pointing you to Christ Jesus as your Savior, please, I beg you, tell me. Stop me. Warn me so that I don't do it again. Because sermons, it's not about what's entertaining. It's about Christ as the cornerstone for us. And so... This is why you regularly come to the word to have your faith nourished because you are a brick who has been placed on top of that cornerstone that is Christ. You no longer have the attitude of the sinful nature when it comes to worship. What's in it for me? We'd better have a good coffee bar. You come because you see that you are on top of Christ. And it's about sharing that. And what's in it for you? You get nourished and edified, concreted down more and more until the day when the Lord returns. Ultimately, Christ is the cornerstone. You are bricks on top of that. You actually form the temple of the Lord, which is his dwelling, which is the invisible church, which is his vineyard. But you are also priests that get to serve that vineyard. So what kind of tenant farmer or priest are you? You see that God has provided everything that is needed to produce the fruits he wants, for he has given us his word and sacraments through which he promises his Holy Spirit works. You know that unreasonable sin receives unreasonable grace, and so as a priest you use that binding and that loosing key for sin. You know that God's grace has its limit. And so out of Christian love, you are willing to warn and use that binding key. But as soon as the person recognizes their sin, you are willing to pour the blood of Christ upon them and wash it away. So you know God's grace has its limit. And all of that is because Christ is the cornerstone. You are built upon it. You recognize you are serving his temple, which is one of the fruits that God asks for from you in the first place. So Christ is our cornerstone who has empowered us. Amen. Now to him who is able, according to the power that is at work within us, to do infinitely more than we could ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let us confess our faith using the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made, for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became fully human. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. 
We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord our God, you are wise and powerful, good and gracious. Your mercies are new every morning. Each day you open your hand and provide for the needs of your children on earth. We praise you for every grace and blessing. Strengthen your church in all the world. Let your comforting message of salvation in Christ Jesus be proclaimed to troubled souls everywhere. Use our ministries and offerings to extend your healing and your hope. We bring you our requests for the various structures of our society. Bless our national, state, and local governments. Grant us civil servants who are worthy of honor and respect. Grant prosperity to our businesses and industries. Give employers a sense of fairness towards their workers and employees a feeling of joy and pride in their workmanship. Help us find satisfaction in all work well done. Invigorate the schools of our land. Give success to every effort that helps students read, think, and communicate in ways that will promote an informed and responsible citizenry. Arouse curious minds to discover the wonders of your created order. Give us teachers and students who pursue excellence. Strengthen the families of our country. Give fathers and mothers a renewed commitment to be good parents. Give children and young people the wisdom to regard their parents as your representatives. Lead us to love one another as you have loved us. Lord, as we heard about the tenants in the vineyard, we pray that you help us to continue to produce the fruits that you intend for us as members of your vineyard. But we also ask you to help us proclaim the good news of salvation in Christ in the world around us, that they may come to Christ and be built upon him as their cornerstone. Hear us, Lord, as we bring you our private petitions. Gracious Father, we pray boldly as Jesus taught, with the confidence that you will hear and with the faith that you will respond for our welfare. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen. Amen.